Hi, everyone, and welcome to Badass Women at Any Age. This is your host, Bonnie Marcus. And each week, I introduce you to another woman who, through her own personal journey, has found and claimed her talent, ambition, and badass power. Today, my guest is Jennifer Sukalo. Jennifer is a speaker, author, transformational expert, recovering perfectionist, lifelong learner, and the chief swagger officer at Swagger U. Her Bachelor of Science and Master of Science degrees are centered around behavioral change, and her work as a global leadership consultant has reached nearly 50,000 leaders across levels, cultures, countries, and industries. Her expertise in leadership and personal development have been highly sought after by companies around the world. And her work in leadership development and coaching cancer survivors to transform their circumstances from survival to spark for the rest of their lives laid the groundwork for the Swagger Method, a personal development approach to harnessing your untapped potential and becoming who you were born to be. Jennifer, welcome to Badass Women. Thank you so much, Bonnie. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and as I said that, I, I'm thinking, have I figured out yet what I was born to be? But anyway, we're not talking <laughs> about me right now. Welcome to the show. And swagger sounds so badass to me. I'm really interested to dive in and learn more about how you arrived where you are today. What's been your personal journey? Absolutely. So this swagger method or the approach is something that has taken me a long time to get to. It's been a long time in the making as we all are a long time in the making. We're a continuous work in progress. I can probably start with, and this is one of the stories that I recount in the book as well. There are times in our lives that are pivotal moments in our lives. And there was a time in my life, I got married quite young. And by the time the ink dried on the papers of the divorce, it, the divorce lasted longer than the marriage did. Yeah. And it was a toxic and a very unhealthy relationship. Let's just put it that way. And I got to a point where I literally didn't even know who I was anymore. I felt like Alice in Wonderland with my world just shrinking around me. I was on the verge of homelessness. I was working three jobs. I was trying to figure everything out. And How I, old were you at that point? I was probably between 23 and 24 years old. Yeah, really young. Okay. Yeah. That's where I felt probably at my, one of my lowest points in my life, where I really felt like I had lost my swagger. Because as a young woman, as a young girl, I always had what I call swagger. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by swagger is, you know, those people that you, when you see them walk into a room, you are immediately drawn to them. They just light up the entire room. And if a waiter was walking by, you might ask the waiter to go, uh, excuse me, can I have whatever they're having, please? Mm -hmm. Because I want that, whatever it is. Is it different doing. than charisma? Yes. Now, so I, I define swagger in a very unique way because the swagger I'm talking about is when you truly step into who you are, embrace what makes you unique and extraordinary 
and learn to use that to be at your best, then you can perform at your best and you can also live your best life. Mm -hmm. And so I've defined swagger in a very specific way. It's an acronym that stands for self-worth, appreciation for your strengths and limitations, gratitude for your life experiences and how they've helped shape who you are, grounded in your core values, empowered to overcome your self-limiting beliefs, and renewed through a greater focus on your passion and purpose. And when you do those, when you do the work to figure that out, that's when you step into who you really are. And that's when you claim your swagger. So here you were at a low point. Yes. In your early 20s. How did you dig yourself out? Well, it, it was about, I think we first have to realize and stop and question what's going on right now and do I like where I am right now and do I like who I am right now? And there was a moment where I remember speaking with my dad and my dad mentioned to me on the phone, he said, you're not the same person anymore. And another critical moment during that time was also when I was seeing a therapist at the time to help me through what was going on. And the therapist said to me, I haven't figured out any reasons to hate you, so why do you? And so I utilized those pivotal moments to really reflect and to think about who did, who am I and who do I really want to be? Because I did not like the person I saw in the mirror. I didn't like the person I was becoming. And so I have been very fortunate in my life to have these amazing experiences to be able to learn and grow as I'm learning and growing myself. My background being in behavior change, albeit a lot of it was focused on health behavior change at the time, gave me a lot of tools that I could tap into and to start thinking about the beautiful aspects of what I'm able to do, what I can do, and to question. The biggest thing that helped me, one of the biggest steps that I can say to any listener out there right now, if you want to take one step forward, start thinking about gratitude. Yeah, yeah. In your worst moments in life, if you can find one thing to be grateful for about that experience, so while I don't want to go back and relive that horrific time period in my life, I now can look back and go, I am so grateful for that. It helped me grow. It helped me develop. I would not be here talking to you today had I not had that experience. I wouldn't have gone on the same journey, the same path. And I wouldn't be this same strong, resilient, powerful, imperfectly perfect person I am. So what challenges? did you face in, in your journey from there? Well, so going from trying to get through the divorce was a big one. And then the person that I was married to claimed bankruptcy. So I was laden with everything. As I mentioned, was working three jobs. I didn't have a home. I know exactly what it feels like to walk home, to get home from work, and have an eviction notice on your front door. It's gut-wrenching, by the way. Yeah, I had to actually believe that I could do something different, that this didn't have to be my path. 
I realized during that time that I didn't even like the work I was doing. So I decided to switch careers and change things up. And I remember having to get a new apartment and I was moving to San Francisco for a job that I had just won or acquired and I couldn't afford the apartment without getting the job. So I hadn't even gotten the job yet. And I decided I'm taking the leap. I'm going to get this apartment, but I know I can't afford it if I don't get this job. Mm, yeah. And stress time. All the stars align and it all worked. Yes. It was just massive stress everywhere. And the feeling of failure, Bonnie, I mean, just the act of for me going through that divorce, I felt like I had failed my family, myself, my faith. I felt like I was walking around with a huge scarlet letter on my forehead, a capital D, that stand for divorce, damage, danger, you know, p take your pick, whatever you want to call it. Well, the other thing that I'm hearing, Jennifer, is shame. Oh, my gosh. It was awful. It was awful. Yeah. You know, to come home and have the eviction notice and not have a place yeah. to live can be devastating. It is. So when I'm asking about, like, the challenges, what was your support at that time? to work through it. It's so funny that you say that because I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And I don't know if any of your listeners out there feel like this or, or have a similar situation, but I have always been an incredibly independent person, which means that I have... You don't ask for help. There you go. And partly it's also because everybody else thinks you've got it all figured out I and know. that you don't need help. And so then there's no one to, where do the strong ones go? So I did a lot of self-coaching. Yeah, and it's also admitting that you need the help when yes. you have been yes. so independent and that's part of your identity. Exactly, exactly. And you touch on something that's really key there, Bonnie, as well, which is where was my self-worth during this time? It was in the toilet. And I had to stop connecting my self-worth to all these external things. I was an achiever my whole life. I got stuff done. I succeeded. And now all of a sudden, I'd failed and spectacularly in a lot of ways. And so when you've consistently over time connected who you are to what you do, yeah. and then that goes away, you've got major issues. Yeah, what a trap. That is, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Instead of, I had to retrain myself and reframe how I looked at my own self-worth and recognize that I'm worthy simply because I exist, not because of what I do or what I accomplish, but because I'm here, period, full stop. Did you have any kind of epiphany? Was it kind of a slow process to recovery or was it one day you were like, wow, I can do this. I can move forward. I'm going to be okay. I think the biggest time, the one of the pivotal moments is when I remember just hitting complete rock bottom and going, this is the first time in my life that I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know where to go or where to start. And I think it was that time where I just kind of, told myself, just start, just take a step, one step, that's it. And then another. And it reminds me of, I always think back to those old Christmas movies we used to watch, which I still love, but there was one where they had the winter warlock 
and they, the song was just put one foot in front mm-hmm. of the other. Mm-hmm. And soon you'll be walking across the floor and then out the door. And I always thought about that. And I think to myself, that's it. Just one step, one step, one day at a time. And I just, dec- I made a decision. I think the biggest thing, Bonnie, was making the decision to say, I did not want to be this person anymore. And I did not want this to be the story of my life. Yeah. It's a story in my life but it doesn't define me and it's not the only story in my life. I'm the screenwriter and the director and the lead actor in my own life. That means I get to control it. Right. Nobody else does. And that that was powerful. Because the, the victim mentality really paralyzes us. Yeah. But you know, and I'm thinking as I'm learning more about who you are, I think there has to be some kind of reckoning that taking one baby step is okay and we need to acknowledge it because when you are a perfectionist and believe me i know this (laughs) it's like we've got these expectations where like you could have done more oh come on you know and fall into that trap like one little baby step isn't enough did you have to face that too oh absolutely absolutely because I mean, my perfectionism started at a very, very young age. So when I was in, I don't remember what age it is or what grade it is, I was preparing to take a timed multiplication test at school. So that's how young I was. And I went into the test and I was prepared. I was ready. And I completely panicked and I blanked and I couldn't even write my name on the top of the paper. And from that point forward, I developed severe test anxiety to the point of getting physically ill the night before a test. And I created coping mechanisms for myself because in my family, we were all expected to do well, not expected to get A's, but expected to live up to our potential. And they knew that we were all very intelligent. Yeah. And my goalpost was straight A's. That was what I set for myself. And so I memorized everything to the point where I could tell you where on a page that piece of information was in the study book. Now, the good news about that is, is it's helped create all these amazing things that my brain can now do. And that's one of the reasons I create acronyms. It was one of my coping mechanisms that helped me study. But that perfectionism it is evil when that comes out in spades and it is debilitating. And you have to look at and understand that many of these self-limiting beliefs, like the notion that you have to be perfect, they start from a place of wanting to help us. But over time, we don't need that help anymore. And we have to let the uninvited guests know they're not welcome anymore. And so having to continually combat that and keep coaching myself that, no, it's just forward is, it is progress, forward. Even if it's not perfectly forward, it's progress, not perfection that we're after here. Do you think it's um, still not easy? The limiting beliefs that hold us back from swagger or are there other things? That's, it's a piece of the puzzle. That's mm-hmm. why there's an entire chapter on, on overcoming that. 
because they truly, and not just when we're young, many of them start when we're young. They start from a very young age when you look at the research, but they can happen and strike at any time in your life, any time. And they are couched as kind of your inner circle. I'm helping you, Bonnie. I'm here to support you and help you. But you're sitting there thinking, yeah, and you're keeping me from doing what I really can do. So go away. Thank you. Yeah. But I don't need you anymore. Give them way too much energy. I mean, they're never going to go do. away completely, right? No. Yeah. We, it, it's about how we manage them and what we do when they show up. How do we manage that? And how do we retrain our brain to move us in a positive direction instead of continuing down that same neural pathway of following what that self-limiting belief wants us to do? Do you find, especially, you know, in your work with leaders around the world, that when it comes to swagger, there are gender differences now, it's interesting. I think some people have different connotations around the word swagger, and that's why I have purposefully defined it in another way. However, I think there are a multitude of differences in how swagger is presented, and that's because of the way I define it. Because you're unique and different, and I'm unique and different, our swagger is going to show up in different ways. Because if we're tapping into who we uniquely are, just like our fingerprints aren't the same, how we present and how we live that swagger daily is going to look different and feel different. Yeah. So that uniqueness, that, yeah, it doesn't necessarily follow gender lines is what you're saying. Mm -mm. Yeah. Correct. What about cultural? Even, now, that's unique and different from the standpoint of, and that's where you would really tap into and look in. I spent a lot of time and one whole chapter on becoming grounded in your core values and where do your values come from? A lot of times they stem from some of your beliefs, your belief systems, and those are very culturally impacted. Right. So how you are raised, what culture you're raised in will actually impact and have a part to play in what you value, what you believe in, and the, the corresponding principles that go alongside those. So there are going to be cultural nuances. It's about understanding some of these nuances and differences that perhaps you were raised in that are different from somebody else's, but that you embrace and that are important to you and making sure you're being genuine and authentic about those. So why is swagger, the way you define it, important for our personal and our professional lives? Because when you claim your swagger... It enables you to really be at your best, to bring your best self to every single thing that you do. And when you're bringing your best self, that means you have an opportunity to perform at your best, whether that's in your work life, your professional life. It can be in your philanthropic or life outside of work, volunteer work, your relationships, every aspect that you touch, if you bring your best self to it, you're going to excel and do your best in it. You're going to perform at your best. And then when we're bringing our best self, when we are performing at our best, we're able to then create and live the best life we envision. Yeah. 
So it it's this inner work that leads to external success. Exactly. You have to do the work internally. I like to talk about a concept like in order to do this, you have to have a bit of what I call radical curiosity or have relentless curiosity, the willingness to figure these things out, to actually stop and take the time to explore and find out what it is that makes you unique and extraordinary and how do I use it? And most people are so busy. I don't know. I know you and I are probably very similar in this case that we're constantly running from one thing to the next that we don't often take that time to tap into and be curious and figure it out. Well, we don't take the time, Jennifer, until it's almost until we don't have a choice. <laughs> exactly. Because, you know, merrily we go along, you know, things are great. Uh, we think they're great and everything's going well. And then we're hit with something like your divorce or some other kind of situation where we are thrown out of our comfort zone. We yeah. find ourselves questioning who we are, you know, um, what are we supposed to mm -hmm. do? And it's so disoriented that that is when we get the opportunity to say, wait a minute here. Mm -hmm. You know, there's something not right. There's, there's something that I really need to take a look at. Do you find that that is true with the people that you speak with, that it's some kind of life-changing event that causes them to do this inner work? I find that that is the case unless they're presented and open to opportunities where they don't have to wait for that. So, for example, in work that I've done with leaders, they were in a workshop. And we were able to do some of this type mm -hmm. of exploratory self-discovery work. Had they not been signed up for that workshop, chances are they probably wouldn't have done the work. On their own. Right. And in the workshop, we explore these pivotal life moments where those are. There are moments in all of our lives where you can look back. You know, I mentioned one, a couple of them. My test anxiety, my divorce. My sister passed away when she was only in her 30s. I mean, these are pivotal moments in our lives that pop up and give us these opportunities to stop and question. Are we paying attention is one, or are we too busy just getting through whatever it is and moving on to the next thing? And or can we just stop? Do we have to have that pivotal moment be the catalyst? Why can't we just choose to explore? Because we don't. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you know, we, we, we just don't. I mean, you know, you're talking about 99.9% .9 of the world population just kind of goes through life without the self-awareness and the depth of that that you're talking about unless they are somehow, I won't say forced to, but maybe forced to explore. Right. Given a stronger need. Yeah. Uh, presented with a stronger need based on the experience in their life. Yeah. Because usually to change behavior, you need to see the benefit. You need to be kind of, well, I don't know whether in pain is the right phrase. 
<laughs> but, you know, in some way, feeling down and dissatisfied with the way things are going, right? you know, in some kind of struggle. And you also need to see the upside of what it would look like if you mm -hmm. change for you to get from A to B. No, absolutely. I talk about this a lot when I talk about change requires kind of three critical things, awareness, desire, and consistent action. Mm -hmm. And you have to first become aware that a change is necessary. And then two, you have to have a desire to want to change. You have to, to your point, Bonnie, see and be able to envision and create this vision of your, your new self or your new future that you want to go to. Because our brain likes the path of least resistance. It will continue down those same behavioral patterns unless we intentionally start to create new neural pathways. And those take time. I mean, super simple example. In our previous house, we had a faucet where you could, in the kitchen, where you just run your hand under the faucet and the water turns on. And so I became very conditioned to turning the water on and off, just running my hand under the faucet. Now, in our new home, where we just moved in August, I find myself still having to be intentional about turning the faucet on and off because my natural inclination right now is to run my hand under the faucet to turn it on and off. But it doesn't work that way. So I am creating a new neural pathway and a new behavioral pattern, but that takes intentionality and focus. And people have to be willing to put the time in. I was going to say, and time. Yes, it's practice, patience, practice, and perseverance. Those mm -hmm. are the three Ps required. P to the power of three. Yeah. You talk about how um, your approach helps people to untap their potential and mm -hmm. to... Um, figure out, understand who they were born to be. Can you talk more about that? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, because each one of us is born with innate talents, with innate ability. And as we've talked about already, Bonnie, there are so many things where we are getting in our own way. And so helping people to take the time to figure out what are those things that make me unique, that make me extraordinary, how is that different from other people? How do I capitalize on that? How do I use that? How do I use these things that I have and that only I have in the best way possible for my job, for my family, for my relationships? And when you can start doing that and when you start to recognize the power that you hold, both to get in your way and to unlock who you are and what you have, that is, it's, it's, I don't like to use the cliche, but it is life-changing. It's transformational. Yeah, it really is. And I've seen it happen. I've seen people have these aha moments going, oh my gosh, I did not realize that I could do this, that I was in control. You know, we're in control of so much more than we think. In my work as a, as a coach with professional women, one of the most important things I think I do is helping them understand their value proposition, which is mm -hmm. how their work leads to positive business outcomes. It's so difficult, Absolutely. though, because most women, their default will be, well, their job description 
Yeah. They can't get to what's unique about how they do things that leads mm-hmm. to success. Mm-hmm. Once they do, it's like, right. whoa, it's like this big aha moment. But mm-hmm. it's not easy and it's really difficult to do on your own. You know, Absolutely. you need somebody to say, no, 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 you need to dig a little deeper. No, 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 no. You know, anybody right. can do that is our thinking, you know, when we try to find out, I don't know if you find this too, what's unique is we say, we take it for granted what we bring to the table and we think, oh, anybody can do what I do. Well, no. Right. Because the way you do it is different. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, there's a, one of my, there's a great chapter in the book that really focuses a lot on this and it helps people discover their their strengths and also their limitations. And, and in that is where you can truly start to say, oh my gosh, wow, these things that come easy to me, when I tap into them, look at what I'm able to do. And to your point, what somebody else will probably can do the same thing, but they're going to do it differently than I will because of what I'm bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. And it's really starting to uncover, and this is what I mean by unlocking and untapping people's potential, through the activities, it helps people work through that self-discovery to figure out what are these things that make me, me, that make me uniquely me. Nobody has the same strengths as you. Nobody has the same values as you. Nobody has the same life experiences or life story that you do. All of those things help shape who you are and how you show up. And how do you use those things to the best of your ability to be your best self? Yeah. I think a big step is not only to identify them, Jennifer, but to own them. Mm. Yes. Absolutely. It's a big... Absolutely. Is there anything about your book that I did not ask you that you'd like to talk about for the last couple of minutes? Sure. So I think the thing that makes it a bit different than anything else is what we kind of touched on already. You cannot read something and create change. You have to do something. And so it's based on the concept and the principles of experiential learning. We learn best when we are experiencing things and figuring things out on our own, not when we're told what they are or told the answers. If you think back to some of your best learning experiences in life, sometimes they were your most painful, but they're the ones you remember and they're the ones that stick out for you. And so the book really focuses on an experiential learning concept and you're Sometimes learning from your own experience and your own life journey. Sometimes it's through the stories and the anecdotes that are shared throughout. And sometimes it's through experiment and trying something. And so it's a unique way to help people take action. It's based on doing, not reading. And it's based on getting people to, to your point, own their own journey and figure out the steps they need to take. And I guide them through the whole thing. But you have to do the work to actually get to the swagger. 
at the end, the treasure hunt at the end. The treasure. Of the quest. Yeah, yeah. which is, this is who I am. Yes. Exactly. I am the and prize. And owning that. I'm the prize. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And owning that and stepping up and recognizing and being okay with the fact that not everybody's going to love that. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's going to be okay with that. And a lot of people won't even want to see you change because it makes them uncomfortable. Yeah. So being able and being willing to go, this is me. And it's, I'm not going to be for everybody. And I'm okay with that. I don't have to be. Because when I'm being honest and authentic and genuine to who I am, I am claiming my swagger. I'm owning it. And I am at my best. Great. Well, lots of personal growth there. Jennifer, thank you so much for being on Badass Women. Where can my listeners learn more about the book and you and your business? Absolutely. They can go to linktree forward slash swagger you. And I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn, excuse me, as well as um, just starting out on Twitter. They can go to swaggeru.com forward slash. All of those will give you additional access. They can pre-order the book today anywhere where books are sold. So it's Claim Your Swagger. It officially launches on May 30th, but it's available right now for pre-order. Wonderful. And I wish you the best with your book launch. Um, All of that information will be in the show notes. So thank you again, Jennifer. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends. I also want to thank the, the amazing group at IM Music Group, Kevin, Giovanna, and Erica, who helped me each week get this show produced. What can you do to put a little swagger in your step? Try keeping a success journal. Write down each day what you've accomplished, big or small. So don't be a perfectionist here and think, oh God, I didn't close that huge deal. No, just anything big or small that you accomplished that day. And at the end of the week, read through your accomplishments and ask yourself, what does this say about me? And over time, This helps you build new neural pathways that contribute to a positive rather than negative mindset. Over time, as you acknowledge your successes, you gain confidence and grow to own your badass power. For more information on my coaching services, please visit BonnieMarcusLeadership.com. Till next week, Be bold and be your badass self.